the more that you and I fasten our minds and hearts to God's glorious purpose in our redemption through Jesus' blood, the more you and I will begin to see the trappings of this world fade into the background. When we slow down and we allow ourselves to be amazed, because friends, it is amazing that God would save anyone When we slow down and allow ourselves to be amazed, you might say, allow our hearts to be captured or captivated by God's grace through redemption. We will increasingly, not all at once, but increasingly see the trappings of this world, the difficulties in life fade into the background. Our turmoil, the turmoil that you experience, that that I experience, our confusion becomes Uh, or it becomes visible to us that that is the means through which God accomplishes His work in your life as He is uniting all things in heaven and on earth in Christ Jesus. And we will see this theme repeatedly in all of Paul's writings, but especially in the book of Ephesians. So we're in a a series on Ephesians and uh, the Apostle Paul, who is uh, a servant of Jesus Christ for the church, uh, penned or or dictated this incredible expression of praise. It'd be really easy for us just to to read it, sort of ho-hum like we're reading the newspaper. But if you can read it and, and, and really allow yourself to be soaked in or soak yourself in the praises that he is uh, communicating, the believing heart or soul can only swell in expression of praise to the Lord. You find yourself yearning inside to agree and say, yes, yes, this is good. Yes, this is true. Father God, I praise you. Jesus, thank you for saving me. This is a a compounding uh, praise where he layers one glorious reality on top of another and on top of another. Several times over, it's brimming with this Christ-centered, one Christ-centered prepositional phrase after another. uh, and, And each one of those small words connect the previous section to the next section. They, they show us the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, and us as believers, and how God is mysteriously and miraculously and marvelously working throughout history to accomplish His purpose, to quote the amazing hymn that we just sung together, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In in other words, the things that I'm struggling with should seem prominent in my life because because they're big, right? They they, they matter. We're, We're not minimizing any struggle. We're not minimizing any effect of sin, whether it's your own sin that affects your life or another sin that affects yours or your sin that affects them. It's all of us and it's all three. They will go strangely dim. It's odd that they're becoming dimmer and dimmer. Why? Because, well, because we're seeing that this is a comparative. It's a comparison phrase, right? The things of earth, they don't simply grow dim over time. 
In fact, sometimes they become brighter and brighter as we focus on them more, as they grow in the center of our focus. But no, the light of God's glorious purpose and redemption shines so brightly, at first, sometimes the light seems to expose what is there, and then with God's glory and grace, the, the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter, or we see it as brighter and brighter and brighter, so bright, so marvelous, so glorious, that it outshines everything else that there is. It goes strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, which is why Paul put it this way. And this isn't even our preaching text for this morning, but I want to use it to, um, to, uh, to layer onto this concept we're talking about. In 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 12, Paul speaks of the ministry of the gospel that we have. And he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, that's just, well, I have to be careful not to preach this passage as I go. Any ministry that you and I are able to do is by the mercy of God. And that ought to humble us. It ought to change our perspective. It ought to make us not not vie for things our way. We do not lose heart. But we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of, of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Even if our gospel is being veiled, it's being veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that would be Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim, it's not ourselves. It's not Paul. It's not Matt. It's not Oak Grove. But Jesus Christ as Lord, as Johnny did, so well this morning. Thank you, my friend. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen, unattractive vessels, things that get buried in the ground that you pull up and you crack them when you need to get what's inside out. These jars of clay, these earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Christ may be also manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for jesus's sake translation life doesn't just get easier we're always being given over to death so that the life of jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us and life in you we could say that to one another this morning oh father in heaven would you open our eyes to see your glorious purpose in our redemption through Jesus's blood so that we would enjoy you fully, that we would live worshipfully every day as your adopted children, you who you have bought and, and, and made known the riches of your grace so that we might declare it to others. And all of this is summed up in Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So I mentioned that we're looking at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 for three weeks in a row here, focusing on one section each week. And so we're going to read these uh, verses all together. It's one verse in the Greek, and so we'll look at uh, one section each time. He, he begins by talking about God's work in eternity past. That doesn't mean uh, day one of creation. It means there is no beginning to eternity. So before uh, the heavens uh, were a thing in God's mind, if, if you will, God had ordained a plan. And this is what he speaks of. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption uh, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And now verses 7 through 10, which we'll look at this morning, uh, what is happening in the present or really since uh, the time of Jesus here. In him, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to times to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And now looking to the future blessings that we anticipate and look forward to with great hope in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In Christ Jesus, God has purchased our redemption so that our sins are fully forgiven. Every one of us has genuinely uh, pressing needs, depending on your circumstances, right? If you're ill, you might believe that your greatest need is to be made well. If you're lonely, you might think that your greatest need is, is friendship or companionship. If you're ensnared by food, wine or other alcohol or drugs, adrenaline, gambling, you might think that your greatest need is to be free from your addiction. If you're anxious, you may believe that your greatest need is to be free from worry or fear or, or the thing that brings that anxiety. If you're bored, you, you, you may be a, a self-declared adrenaline junkie and think that your greatest need is that life be always entertaining and always exciting. Kids, all the kids listening up, I love the activity and the noise. It's wonderful and we love you guys. You're a gift. If your parents... Okay, show of hands. Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that part. If you're, some of you are like, best move you've made yet. If your kids, if your parents are kind of hard to live with at times, right? McGee kids, zip it. Hey. 
You might think, kids, that your greatest need is to be able to control everything and make all of your own decisions. Or if your sibling is teasing you, you you might think that your greatest need is to figure out how to hide them in the closet for a long time. Do not try this at home. If you're a farmer who's just seated, I wrote this before the rain, but you, you may think that your greatest need is rain or was rain. And all of these needs are genuine needs. They're legitimate needs. They're good needs, most of them are good needs. Well, no, they're good needs, minus the closet comment. That's why, yeah, we just keep going. But while they're all important, none of them is your greatest need. Being free from the things or, or having the things that you think are causing you the problem or the struggle, none of those are your greatest need. They, they, they become the, the difficulty, the trial that God is using to shape you to be more like Jesus in your life. The greatest need for every person, whether they believe it or not, is redemption. Redemption is our greatest need. Last week we saw that God chose us or predestined us or elected us to be holy and blameless in Him. Listen, not, not just saved. Not just God predestined us to be saved so that we could live our life however we want. No, he predestined us to be, to, be, to, to, to be holy and blameless before him. Which is a progressive work for every day of our life now. And will ultimately be accomplished in future eternity when we're glorified. But now he's using everything in life to, to shape us and to make us into the image of Christ. But every one of us follows the deceitful schemes of the world at some times or another. We, we believe the lie of the enemy that says, this is your greatest need. This is the problem you need to solve. And all along, Jesus is saying, the Lord is saying, redemption is your greatest need. Religion is not your greatest need. Coming here on Sunday morning, glad you're here. want you to keep coming is a lesser need that points you to your greatest need. If we could only remember that, that if we were to take and, and, and drink um, a strong saltwater solution, it naturally keeps us, causes our, our gag reflex, to, right? Some of you, like, I don't know if you've ever had to do that, like when you're sick and they say, well, you got to drink this and gargle this, forget about it. Like it's all over the mirror if I have to do something like that. It just doesn't work for me, right? That ought to be our repulsive response to sin. But it's not. I stand at the front of the line, and I'm not just faking that. I, sometimes we just know how to hide it better, how to, how to dress it up a little bit, bit, bit better. But they become the sins that become accepted. There are sins that are naturally more accepted in our, in our culture. That doesn't make them righteous acts all of a sudden before the Lord. So if we could remember that that, that, that gag reflex ought to, be, ought to be right there for the things that God detests, we ought to detest them and say, Lord, make me hate what you hate and make, help me to love the things that you love. When you and I are left to ourselves, we will uh, never be holy and blameless because Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers who we once were. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that the things that are very Deadly, seem life-giving, seem desirable, but it's a smokescreen and, and we fall for it far too often. Don't hear me say, if you're here this morning, you, you tend to have maybe more of a, a gentler, guiltier conscience. This is not saying you're less than 
either the guy that's preaching or somebody else that's sitting in this room. Right? We want to be a church of people that are wrestling with sin, fighting with sin. But the key there is we want to be a church of people who are fighting sin. Not a church of people who sit back and stack it up on our, on our laps and, and talk about why we feel this way or why we keep liking this or why we do this or then justifying it all the way along. No, we're going to say, let's be a people of God who is increasingly growing to be more like Jesus because we're helping one another fight our sin. There's a problem when somebody wants to come help you fight your sin and you say, who are you? Well, I'm your brother and sister in Christ and like it or not, God put us together. You can't choose your family. That's God's purpose for the church, working itself out, helping one another grow. And we'll see this more in the letter in uh, speaking the truth in love. Paul asks a really penetrating question in Romans 2. He says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and, and forbearance or long suffering and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? you have a sin in your life where you haven't been found out yet? God's kindness is still giving you an opportunity for repentance. It is much more glorious to repent and to confess your sins. Depending on the sin, depends on who you need to confess to. Then being caught and then having to work through the confession or the confusion of if you're actually repentant. Because once you're caught... It's difficult to even know if we're actually repentant. You're sorry, right? Kids, kids, we know, we're sorry you got caught. But even if you are growing or increasing in your repentance, it's difficult to know at that point. It's real clear to know is if you know you're hiding something and you go confess it because you're grieved and because God's kindness is leading you to repentance. But because of your hard and your impenitent heart, your stubborn, unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Uh, an impenitent heart doesn't feel regret or shame that leads to repentance. You may feel guilt, but if that guilt just leads you to prop yourself up, if that guilt just leads you to strategize better, it is not a godly guilt. It would be a worldly guilt. Godly guilt leads to repentance. So husbands, every time you and I choose our own desires over what are the needs of our wives, and let's be clear here, this would be what God says the needs of our wives are. Not necessarily always what our wives say that their needs are. Now, don't hear me say, especially on Mother's Day, we, we want to we listen as our wives are telling us what they need or what they understand their needs to be. But at the end of the day, we answer to the Lord for how we strive, however imperfectly that may be, to, to, to meet their needs. Kids, every time you disobey with your parents or every time you treat your brother or sister, this is the part, kids, I was telling you, I was going to come back at you here, right? So, so every time you treat your brother or sister in the wrong way or you, you tease a kid at school in the wrong way, God says that if we're not repentant of that, if we're not sorry and grieved to the point that we want to apologize and go to the Lord and make that right, God says, it's like you've got a bucket over here and you are storing up, you're just piling up 
God's judgment. It's like, uh, it's like when you do something wrong and you expect a nice, delicious lollipop, but instead you get one of those sour gobstopper things that is so sour. Like I can almost feel the pain right now just thinking about it, right? And it's like, Neh. and somehow, like my kids, we go out to eat, they will eat bowls of lemons. Just you know, you know, adults, we're kind of like, I can do one and maybe make my word through it. They're just like, yeah, that was good. Next one. Right. But, but the point is, right, kids, it's like getting this, this sour, it's far worse than this, but sour experience that you can't get rid of. Right. And, and your cheeks, your muscles are getting so tight because it's almost painful. It's so sour. God says that when we continue in our ways and we refuse to repent, We're storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of judgment. Church, every time that you, we, gossip, oh, well, it's true. Exactly. That's what gossip is. It's true things that you feel free to speak about. The other is slander. Complain. Gripe. insult one another and are unrepentant, we are storing up for ourselves wrath on the day of judgment. God says in Romans 2, 8, for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. This is what, what Paul calls in, in, in Ephesians 2, we, 2, 1, we are dead in our trespasses following the course of this world, living in the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of our body and mind. Nobody's saying that, that not every one of us in the room, this room shares these uh, similar or same desires. In, in, in fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has come to you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, hallelujah, and with every temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to stand up under it. You may be able to endure the temptation. Every person is a slave to sin. sin, And so redemption is the greatest need that we will ever have. And just as election takes pay, place in Christ, as we saw last week, God has also provided redemption in Christ through his blood. Now that seems redundant. Uh, but it's really not. Redemption is what happens through his blood is the means by which it happens, right? God doesn't just decree that people who believe in me are forgiven. No, God is a holy God. He's a just God. And therefore, he, he not only declares and devises uh, a way for people to be made right with him, he fulfills it himself by sending his son, born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, die on a cross he didn't deserve to die on, but every one of us des- deserve to die on. He willingly, in fact, Jesus even said, nobody takes my life, but I lay it down on my own accord, right? In accordance with the Father's will. Redemption means that a price has been paid, freeing us from imprisonment or captivity. In this case, the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sin, as well as the presence of sin in our lives and sin's power to control us as a master, This word is the same word. It's used 10 times in the New Testament, seven times by Paul, and three times here in Ephesians. In the Old Testament, it talks about the idea of releasing slaves from bondage or or freeing the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. And in verse 7, he explicitly says that this redemption is through the blood 
of Christ. It's not through religion. It's not through uh, making yourself better in appearances. It's not through, right? It's not through your behavior. It's not through better thinking. It's not, it's not even by going and making it right with another person that you've offended. It's by going to the Lord, confessing your need for a savior. Acknowledging that you've trusted lots of other saviors, lowercase s. And that you need to trust the one Savior who gave his life. And I love this phrase. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Do you hear that phrase? This is why I said at the beginning, we need to slow down. We need to allow our minds to, be, to, to, to read slowly and to think deeply. It's good to read through your Bible in a year or two years, and that's wonderful, and that, it's good. But there are times to read slowly, to read repeatedly. Because what the Lord tells us here is that the redemption is through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? First come, first serve. Whoever gets the most first gets it? No. God has an endless storehouse of mercy and grace for all who would call upon his name for salvation. And if you have not called upon the Lord for salvation, friend, I implore you, do so today. Do so right now in your seat. Just acknowledge, God, I'm a rebel and I'm running my own way. Now, if you hear that and you go, well, I'm not that bad, well, then you don't need a savior. according to your own perspective. But the Bible would differ with you. God would differ with you. And there will be a day when you stand before the Lord and he would say, how do you think about that now? But for today, God holds out to you his marvelous, merciful promise that if you will turn from yourself and trust in me to save you, I'll save you. Because I have more mercy, more grace, more saving power through the blood of Jesus Christ than you can ever imagine. So redemption equals this forgiveness of all of our sins, all of our trespasses. God's work of redemption is designed to be carried out fully by his grace so that our only appropriate response is praise. If we add one iota... One drop, one speck of sand of our own effort. We strip God of the grace and the praise that is rightly his. Do you hear that, church? And then this becomes what motivates you for everything that you do in life and godliness. There, there was a man who uh, one day was low on funds, and uh, he was desperate to, to get this thing that he wanted to get. And so he took this ring that he had. It was a, a generational uh, heirloom, and he took this ring. It was a nice ring. It was, as uh, far as he knew, a, a decently costly ring. And so, you know, he brushed it off a little bit and took it into a pawn shop, and he, and he sold it. Uh, and the man gave him two things. He gave him back a few dollars for it, and he accompanied by a ticket. And then on the back of the ticket, a redemption price and date were listed. Now, this is kind of perplexing for the man. So he intended to buy back this ring, uh, and, and so the date rolled quickly around. He still didn't have the money. He had saved, but he didn't have the money. What he, what he knew that the price was going to be, or what he thought that he knew the, knew the price was going to be. So uh, he goes in, and when he gets there, he says, hey, listen, uh, before, before you put this thing on for sale, can I buy this back before anybody else has a shot? And the, and the, and the, the pawnbroker said, no. 
No, and so uh, the time comes around and this ring was polished more beautifully than he'd ever seen it. And it was set out on a display and the price was like 10 times higher than what he thought it was going to be. I mean, he knew it'd be, there'd be some markup, right? Because everybody's got to make a living. And so, but it was much, much more than that. Now it costs 10 to 15 times more what he thought. He just knew he didn't have the money. He just knew he couldn't do it. Some of us have pawned our lives for a pittance. We've sold our souls out for the latest entertainment or the materialism or the relationship or, or the status or the job. And our souls, our behaviors, our actions, well, we don't, we don't have what it takes to buy it back. The math will never add up, never. Well, if I could just do, do what? One sin separates us from God. It'll never add up. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pick up the tab for what we've pawned. And Jesus is the only one who can afford to pay the price. Brothers and sisters, when we think about this in this way, the things of earth grow strangely dim. And it's not about, oh, I need to go to church this week. Oh, I want to be with God's people. I mean, they irritate me sometimes. But if I'm honest, I probably irritate them sometimes too, right? It's like with our family, right? It's just a reality of living, but that's not the focus. The things of earth become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Uh, Puritan John Flavel said, Christ is so in love with holiness that at the price of his own blood, he will buy it for us. The reason Jesus wrestled, my, my opinion on this, I just need to uh, communicate that. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, Lord, take this cup from me. If there be any other way. It wasn't, I don't believe it was the pain. I don't want to believe it was the, or I mean, I don't believe it was death itself. But in that moment when Jesus would be on the cross, he would become sin. He would stand in your place and in, in my place, drenched with the stench of sin for every human that has ever lived who would call upon his name for salvation. Jesus wore it all. And for six hours, the sky was black as the Holy One, the Father, forsook the Son so that you and I would not be forsaken by the Son, by the Father. Jesus wanted nothing to do with impurity. Father, if there's any other way. In God's kindness, he has shown us his mysterious will. Now just, just think about this. When God takes someone from darkness to light, there's a transfer that happens, right? He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has a plan. God has a will. God has the power and God has the ability to carry it out. Brothers and sisters, friends, we do not worship a weak God. We do not need to apologize for God. We don't need to apologize for the fact that God is holy, or we strip our evangelism of its power. Well, God will let that slide. According to whom? Not according to God. And the only way that this is cause for grief is when a sinner refuses to turn and trust. 
Every other time it's a cause for joy. Every other time it's a cause for joy. Hebrews 4.14 talks uh, about our great high priest. And sometimes, uh, well, verse 16 of that passage says that we're to come with a great boldness when we come before the throne of grace where we will find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. You have a lot of need? I have a lot of need. Every time, mercy and grace. Just go. Well, I went earlier. Go. Well, I went five minutes ago. Go. Go. Like the persistent widow who comes back to the judge time and again and again. Go to the Lord. God has all of the power in all of the universe to accomplish the things that he has planned before the foundation of the world to carry out. Listen to a few verses here. Job 42, 2. I know. Notice this is chapter 42 of Job. This isn't like Job's first conversation with the Lord here. This is after lengthy conversation with some friends that were well-intended, gave bad advice, and then he got the truth from the Lord more than one time. I know, Lord, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that God's purposes can be thwarted? Do you believe that you are, that you are experiencing what you're experiencing in your life because we serve an im, an unpowerful God? No. If it is happening in your life right now, the sovereign one who is over all things has ordained it for your life before the foundation of the world so he can shape you. It's to make you more like him. If you wrestle with anxiety, it's not just a, it's not just a tease. It's to shape you into the image of Jesus. To help you trust in him. There's no uh, simple answer. Every situation is unique. Every situation is different. If you have a, a sin that is plaguing you, something else that you're dependent on, whether it's a relationship or a drug or a drink, the Lord wants to free you from those things, but not just for the end of freeing you. He wants to free you to run to him over and again. And he can and will accomplish it in your life when we submit to him. Psalm 103:19 says, "The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all." Psalm 46, 9 and 10 says, "Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me." Say that, no one like me. And from ancient times things not yet done, saying, "My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. In Daniel 4, 34 and 35, when Nebuchadnezzar thought he was all that, and the Lord showed him that he wasn't, uh, he blesses and he praises and he honors the most high God. Listen, he says, uh, at the end of the day, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven and I, and, and, and my reason returned to me. I blessed the most high God and I praised and I honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? First, we'll look at next week, Ephesians 1.11. We've been predestined according to his purpose. Who works all things after the counsel of his will. Sometimes we're afraid to, to 
rest in and to proclaim and to declare and to cling to the sovereignty of God. Because we believe that that means that God is the author of evil. And the Bible just simply says that that is not true. But God either allows, ordains, or brings into your life actively all kinds of trouble, all kinds of difficulty, all kinds of challenge that he is intending to use to make you more like Christ. Our last point, and we'll wrap up quickly here, everything will be summed up in Christ. We see this phrase uh, in the beginning of Mark, right? In the fullness of time, at the right time, God sent his son. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the more and more we understand God's eternal purpose, we recognize that this affects our thought life. This affects our, our priorities and our values. It affects our schedules, our relationships. And a response we see in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Friends, this doesn't just happen. This is, a, is an effort of working out our salvation in fear and trembling. But because you've been made aware of your greatest need, if you have trusted in Christ, it is still our call to flesh this out, to walk it out. And the more we, we press into God's glory in salvation through Christ and God's purpose in your redemption, you will see the trappings of this world begin to fade. Now they have springs on them, so they pop back into view. But then they begin to fade. Not because they're unimportant, not because they don't hurt, not because they don't matter, not because they're not confusing, confusing, but because when you fix your eyes on what is unseen, God's glory outshines it all. And the broken vessels that we live in, these earthen jars we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, you know how those shine the light of the gospel that's within us? through cracks. So we live our life, we get bumped around, somebody bumps into us and we crack or we get a splinter here. And, and we see God's grace for what it is and the light of the gospel shines proverbially out through that clay pot. It's not contained through perfect living. Got a new crack this week? How are you allowing God's glory to shine through that difficulty? Redemption is our greatest need, which God has provided in Christ through his blood. And in his kindness, he's given us wisdom to understand his mysterious purpose. That just means something that was once, dis once disclosed is now 
progressively being made known. You and I know the end so we can live for the end where we realize that everything will be summed up in Jesus. That is why we always see the 24 elders and everyone in heaven worshiping around the sun. As we celebrate communion this morning, you may desire to sit in your seat and pray. Maybe you have some sin that you want to confess to the Lord. And we invite you to do that. We invite you to come up to communion servers, two up front and two in the back. If you need to um, or you desire to remain seated but want someone to come serve you, just lift up your hand and hold it up so that we can have someone come and serve you. We'd love to serve you in that way. Each of us in this room are, are, are going through different aspects of our walk with the Lord right now. So it makes sense that not everybody's response during communion is the exact same. But here's what I want to tell you, friend. Don't allow the guilt of sin to keep you from joyously celebrating what Christ has done through shedding his blood for you. Go give it to the Lord. Confess it. Agree with him that it's wrong. And celebrate. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. But stand up and sing and worship and celebrate. Because there is a fountain that the Lord has plunged you under according to the riches of his grace, which never end. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word and we praise you, Lord, for the great promises that your word holds out for us. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in our lives. The, the implications from this message this morning are, are varied. And so, Father, we ask you, Holy Spirit, as one who is, is active and moving as the seal guaranteeing our inheritance, you also uh, not only serve as a guarantee, but one of those guarantees is the fact that we see you at work in our life even now. And so, Father, we pray, Spirit, we invite you to do business with us in our hearts even now. Would you draw us back to you? Maybe we don't believe it's possible, Lord, would you... Would you renew our minds, not to living according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, but according to the truth of the gospel of Jesus, that we might proclaim your name joyously and repetitiously for all our days. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.